Thank you. Um, I don't know if we have a name for our puppet troupe, but uh, thank you very much. Uh, they went to a, a lot of expense to make it historically accurate. All the clothing was exactly from that same period. Ruth was also a ginger, as um, the Bible, t no, really it doesn't. But we do thank you for presenting the scripture and in a, in a way that, you know, hopefully not just the kids, but all of you can, can gain from. And so we're coming back to the, the book of Ruth and we're looking at this story uh, of grace, of really of God's redeeming grace. And, and, you know, it's one of those things, this word grace is a word that, you know, people sometimes will say, oh, I know what that means, but I'm not really sure they do. In fact, a lot of people would, would say, yeah, grace is important, love is important. And to an extent, they would say, you know, we see grace and love in the world around us. But grace is, is never, in the world's eyes, it's never unconditional. There's always a, uh, you know, a yeah, but. Or we're like, great, we receive grace, but we're not great at giving grace. And what we're going to look at today is, we're going to look at the book of Ruth where grace comes to people, and then it comes from others and it comes often comes from God first but then what really happens with grace is grace comes through us and so what is grace you know we, again we, th we think about that we think we know what it is we th we think we can have it but but grace has this has a you know a couple of like key characteristics one is is it's something that's given that's that's not deserved it's it's not earned, it's, you know, in no way. It's, it's a true gift. Um, you know, sometimes I can be a little, what is the word, sarcastic, um, sassy, or whatever you might want to say. But if, if someone, if I give someone a gift, and they say, you didn't have to, I will say, if I had to, it wouldn't have been a gift, right? I mean, because that's, goes against the definition of what a gift is. If I had to do it, it's not a gift, it's an obligation, it's a payment, it's a, you know, quid pro quo, whatever you want to call it. But it's not, it's not grace. And, and we, we get in our heads this idea that, that, that we, you know, we, we, we think we know what these, what this word means, and yet we don't because somewhere along the way we, we condition it. As a matter of fact, a lot of times we think grace is something for the weak. Um, I was watching this history show about um, you know, weapons and armor and, and there was, um, it was really interesting, this one about Japanese um, armor. And, and Japanese armor in, in a certain period of time that it was made largely from paper. Think about that. We think of paper as being, as being weak. And, and you say, how could this paper actually you know, help? Did there, were there swords made out of like Nerf or were they like rubber or something where you know, paper would help? Um, and, and so then the guy tested it. They, 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 they tried to recreate it and they tested it. Like they would, you know, shoot arrows into it. And, and what would happen is the layers of paper would be doing something that we understand now and you wonder if they understood all the physics of it back then or if it was just trial and error, like 
you know, one guy had one layer of paper, oop, arrow went in. Let's do two layers. You know, did they do it that way or did they actually understand that, that, the, that the paper was absorbing the arrow's in energy and it was creating this incredible armor from something that we would think is, that's crazy. Why, you know, why do that? You better to wear nothing at all. Just go out and battle without any armor. And so we, we sometimes have that idea about grace. We think that grace is, is just, you know, yeah, you know, it's good and all that, but it's kind of weak. It's kind of nothing. We can do it in good times, but, you know, should we really be doing it when there's crises going on? And you can even see it now, you know, if, if, if you interact with a lot of people during this whole COVID-19 thing, you know, you can see people have limits to their grace. Whether it's people wearing masks, getting upset at people not wearing masks, whether it's local people getting upset at tourists, you know, there's, there's a limit to our grace. Is it, you know, is it, you know, people getting, you know, upset at businesses for opening or businesses getting upset at you know, the government for not letting them open. You know, there's a limit. You know, we have grace at first. You get through that first week. But eventually we start to see there's conditions to, what, to where our grace is. And so that's, that's the world. And I think we miss this in this story of Ruth because we're so attracted to the love story between Ruth and Boaz. We, we see that, we hear about the kinsman redeemer, and we're so distracted, we're so distracted that, that we miss this story of grace here. We miss actually this, this huge point. And, and the point that we miss is that, yes, the world thinks it understands grace and love, but it doesn't. It, it, it's it's because, because the world conditions grace and love. But what we miss is that that God is telling his people back then, several thousand years ago, and he's telling his people today, the church, he's saying, this is what grace looks like. This is what the church looks like. This is what my people look like. When my people are truly living in covenant with me and in covenant with one another, this is what it looks like. And we don't think that. We don't think we're going to find that in a story about, you know, this, this widow and, and her daughter-in-law and, and Boaz and all that. We don't think we're going to find that. But that's exactly what we find here. And so as we go through this, you know, I'll try to bring that out more. But I want you to be thinking about that. That, that, that the Bible is communicating to us what happens when God's people are in a right relationship when they're in a right community, that when that happens, this is what it looks like. This is maybe even what it feels like. And so we, we again, are, are coming to the, the second chapter of Ruth, and, we're, and we're, we find Naomi and Ruth have returned. We, they've returned to uh, Judah. Now, Ruth hasn't really returned. She's never been there. But Naomi has returned, and they are, they're getting settled, used to, you know, what life is going to be like, and they expect it to be hard. And so Ruth is going out and, and working every day in the fields. But last week, we, we, we heard there were hints of hope, you know, and we saw that. The, 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 the narrator, the person telling the story is giving us hints of hope. 
And then we ended with Ruth asking this question. And the question she asked of Boaz is, you know, why, what have I done to deserve this kind of favor from you? And so that's where we pick it up today. So in verse 11, chapter 2, it says, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So what do we see here? Well, we see that um, Boaz is not just like, you know, he didn't just kind of show up at work one day and go, ooh, who's that hot chick over there? Oh, oh yeah, she's really nice. No, he had heard a story. He had heard this story about her. And when he was told the story of her act of grace, that he responded. And this is what the picture here is. The faithful respond to grace shown with more grace. In other words, when, when, when we hear, as believers, we hear about grace that someone showed to someone else, not to us, but to someone else, we respond by showing grace to them. Grace upon grace. You see, Boaz listened. First of all, he listened. This is one of the problems we have in the church today. One of the problems in the church today is that we don't listen to each other. We don't know each other's stories. We don't know how far people have come. We don't know what they're even going through right now. We don't know sometimes, you know, people that are caring for their, their elderly parents or they're caring for, you know, their 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 child who may be an adult or, or a special needs child. And we don't know. We don't know what burdens people are carrying. We don't know what grace and faith they're, they're showing because, you know, we just don't talk about it. You know, it's one of the things that we're trying to do with the letters that I sent out is just have people introduce themselves to one another. And, and you know, it's not there to tell everybody all your problems, but it's at least a start. It's a, it's a movement to be able to say, you know, this is who I am. This is, you know, this is who I am in Christ. But we don't know each other's stories. And maybe we just hear them accidentally. We don't notice one another. We just want to come to church and maybe talk to people in our Sunday school class and, and the people that we sit around and then, and then go home. But how can we actually know to show grace to those who are showing grace if we don't know the stories? So Boaz listens. He listens. But he does more than listen. He then, he then tells her. He tells her. This is something that Paul is going to do, you know, a thousand years later. If you read Paul's letters, when Paul is happy with the church that he's writing to, he will always say this in the letter. He will say, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of the love. I've heard of the compassion. And you should know that faith 
is encouraging me and it's encouraging all these other churches. All these other believers are encouraged by your faith, your grace, your love. And Paul tells them that. We don't always tell it. Even if we know it, we don't say it. And, and because of that, sometimes people would start to develop the, the idea that, that they're just all alone. One of the things about a healthy church is that no one in the healthy church should feel alone. Oh, there's going to be moments when you feel alone, but I'm talking about a long time, abiding sense of, of loneliness that's, that, that's not from you just shutting yourself off, but it's from people really not being interested in, in you or your life. That, that we were called together to walk in this world together. And so Boaz tells her. And the thing is, when Ruth did this, she didn't even know Boaz existed. She just did it. It was a complete act of, of, of grace, of sacrifice. You know, she, you know, Naomi had released her. Ruth didn't have to do this, but she did it. And, and she did it not expecting things to turn out. True, unconditional, sacrificial giving. But she is noticed. And I'm going to tell you, we shouldn't do things to be noticed. We shouldn't do things so people go like, oh, you know, what a you know, you know, good Christian you are. That really shouldn't be our motivation. But it is good to be noticed. There's nothing wrong with it. As long as it doesn't become, you know, your motivation, as long as it doesn't become a, a you know, badge of pride for yourself. Because if you really do things out of grace, you understand that grace comes from God. It doesn't come from you. And so Boaz says this, but then he does a third thing that I think sometimes we miss because of the language, the way it's written. If right there in verse 12, the Lord repay you for what you have done and the full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He prays for her. Kind of cool. As a matter of fact, in Ruth, Almost all the main characters at some point pray for somebody else. That's great. I mean, that's what we see. We see that in, in the, this is what the faith will do. This is what happens with God's people. You not only respond to grace with grace, you hear stories of grace, you extend more grace. You not only do that, you not only listen and know each other, you do that. But it's not, that doesn't, that's not where it ends. You not only just acknowledge and thank people, it, you, you then pray. You, you pray for them. You, and you pray that, that God will you know, reward them. You see, if I do things sacrificially, and then I'm praying, God, please repay me for all the things I did sacrificially, did I really do them sacrificially? Did I really do them unconditionally? No. But my brothers and sisters in Christ can do that. And that's what Boaz does. It doesn't stop there, though. Because 
what, he's, what Boaz is recognizing up front is that anything, any recompense made to Ruth, it's going to come from God. That, that he's asking God to do it. Boaz had the money. He could have done it. He could have done it on his own. There's a lot of things he could have immediately done. He could have just, you know, given Naomi whatever. And it would have been fine. He doesn't seem to be, you know, hurting for dough. But he doesn't do that. He prays that God will, that God will do it, that God will provide. Well, in verse 14, he says, it says there, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisf satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left, uh, left over after being satisfied. So Boaz doesn't just listen. He doesn't just tell her. He doesn't just pray. He puts grace in action. And he, he's willing to not just, just do a little. He goes, he, goes, he goes way farther. And his action, you know, that's kind of a, not a great word for it. Because when we think of action, we just think about, you know, physical actions. But it's more than that. It's more than talk. It's more than action. In fact, what he's doing with sharing the meal with her is he's, he's building a relationship. You see, one of the reasons I think we don't like to talk about grace, I mean, not talk about grace, but we don't like to show grace, is because we want kind of a hit and run grace. We want to be able to get in there, do, do the good thing, and then, and then get out. You know, someone, someone needs some food, boom, give them the food, get out of their lives. You know, someone needs a ride, give them a ride, get out of their lives. You know, someone's having a hard time, you know, try to hook them up with, you know, a counselor or somebody that can help them get out of their lives. The churches do missions like this. You know, we, we go to, a, you know, to another country or maybe we go into another part of Hawaii and, to, you know, and we go in and we do our, our week-long mission trip and then we get out. And it's good. It's better than not doing anything. But it's not doing what Boaz is doing. He's establishing relationships. When, when, our, when I took uh, groups to Haiti, and it's one of the things that I would tell the students because I knew I was swimming upstream. The church culture that kind of permeates, you know, um, especially in Southern Baptist life is more this, what I call like guerrilla missions. You know, we go in, we do our, we do our mission, and then we get out. And I, and I challenged everyone who went on these trips, I challenged them to say, God didn't bring you here for just this brief moment in your life. You need to think about 
how while you're here, how God is directing you to create you know, lasting relationships with people who are here, with churches who are here, with ministries who are here. And so every time we went back to Haiti, we always went to, we went to the same place for that very reason. We wanted to build a relationship with that, with that group of people in that town. And I really think that that that's, if, if churches would adopt that mentality, and I know some do, we weren't the only ones doing that, but if we would adopt the mentality that, that mission trips are not holy vacations, which sometimes they become, they're not photo ops that we can put on Facebook and show how we helped people for a few days out of our lives, but they are, they are just a representative. They're just a small piece of showing our commitment and our lifelong commitment to people. I think missions would actually do so much more. But, that, but that's what we like. That's our culture. We, we don't want relationships because we either think we have too many or they're messy or they're, you know, they're hard, they get awkward. You know, for whatever reason, we just, we just don't like them. And so we just want to help and then move on. We want to be like the doctor or the nurse. You know, you would think it weird if your doctor, as you're sitting there and he's examining you and he starts, you know, saying like, so do you golf? You want to go golfing with me? You'd be like, uh, doctor, I'm here for you to take care of what the problem is. You'd be weird, it'd be weird. It's like, you know, my family's having a barbecue. Wanna come? You know, we would be like, no, that's not what doctors are for. But that's how we, we are sometimes. We wanna be the doctor, we wanna be the nurse, we wanna be the one who fixes the problem and then moves on. Boaz is building this relationship and, and he's inviting her, you know, to have this meal with him. And so, the faithful put grace in action. A true community of faith will, will put grace in action. It won't just be a feeling of grace. It'll be grace extended from person to person. Our, our entire church will be noted, you know, known for grace. It'll be a characteristic of who we are. And then we look at this last portion and it says, so Naomi, you know, is, has gleaned and, and she's now gone, uh, gone home and, and it says her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. 
So she goes back and the way that the story is told is what we know, what we knew already that Boaz is a relative, what we know, now they know. In other words, it's being presented not like Naomi is this, you know, conniving, you know, woman like, oh, you know, maybe if you go over there and, and you know, you, you know, bat your eyes at Boaz, he'll fall in love with you. No, they're just, they're just trying to survive. They're just there, you know, she's out there thinking I'm going to get, you know, some, some grain and, and, and you know, we're, we're going to make it somehow. We're going to work through this. And the story reveals it that way to us. But something is happening here that, um, you know, that sometimes I think we struggle with. And that is that the faithful, Naomi and Ruth, they're receiving grace as grace when it is offered. They're receiving grace as grace when it is offered. This, some, this is something that's really hard for us to do. There's some people that, that really struggle with this. It's really hard to, to, you know, give someone a gift and truly give it and not want that person to feel any obligation to give you anything back. Because, I don't know, we, we, we just do it sometimes. We, we can't help it. When I used to work for um, um, Hawaii Baptist Academy, there was a, you know, was, this, this, the parents from some of the students and some of the alumni parents and, and others, they would host some of our mainland donors. And I remember one of the donors, you know, told me like um, that they, they felt bad about giving their host gifts because if they gave their host a gift, the host would give them a gift. And, and this, this one couple in particular, give them a gift. And so they, they tried all these tricks to be able to be the last one to give the gift. So one time they, you know, they waited to the very last minute and they, they gave the gift um, you know, to, the, to the couple right before they're gonna go in the airport, go on the plane. And so they thought like, oh, we're, f we're free. Well, they were actually just going to a neighbor island for a couple of days and then coming back to Honolulu for like an hour or two and then flying on. Well, this was back in the day when you could still go inside the airport if you weren't flying. And so when they flew back to Honolulu for that one hour layover, that couple had got another gift and they came to the airport and they got to the gate and they were the last ones to give a gift, you know? It's hard to accept grace as grace. But when someone is offering you grace and that makes you feel obligated, it's different if you just want to give. It's different if, if you're just expressing you know, gratitude. But when people feel obligated, it's, it's, it's difficult because then people are kind of afraid to do anything because you know, they, they, don't, they really weren't doing it for a response. And this comes out in, in other ways too. Um, you know, the other way is when we try to do everything ourselves. We just want to do everything ourselves. And the grace people are offering us sometimes is, is help. They're offering us, you know, let, you know, can, you know can, how can we help you? Can we cooperate in some way? And so sometimes the grace that we have 
is when someone is offering us something that we, we accept it. Even when we might feel we don't need it. And that's tough because a lot of times people will ask, do you need anything? And, you know, we respond with, no, we don't. We don't need anything. But in actuality, we could use something. We could use some help. We could use some relief, but we think we're going to get through, so no, I don't need anything. But that really shouldn't be the basis of it. Um, even when we don't feel we need something, if someone is extending to us grace, we need to receive it as grace. And that's hard. It's hard, but in a healthy community, a healthy church, that's what needs to happen. Because if you keep telling it, if everybody keeps telling everybody else, I don't need it, I don't need it, I don't need it, I don't need it, then people stop asking and grace doesn't abound. But if grace is going to abound, we need to encourage people, even people that we can do it better than they can do it. You know, they, they might want to help. And we do this with our kids, you know, like, you know, I've used this example before, but we encourage our kids to, to join us, say, um, you know, teach them how to cook something. And yes, you can cook it faster and better yourself, but you're extending grace to, the, to your children by giving them that experience, teaching them, spending time with them. There's so many other things than just getting the job done. And sometimes in church, in the community, even our tasks that we're doing, it's about just getting the job done. And we've forgotten that it's not that. It's not just about getting the job done. If you have lived for any period of time, here's one truth that you realize. The job never gets done. The sun rises tomorrow. There's more things to do. If it's all about getting the job done, so that what? we can just sit around and do nothing? No. If that job gets done, there's another job tomorrow. The job never really gets done. That can't be driving us. What has to drive us is to be the community of faith, and the community of faith is one that has grace upon grace. And I can't always do this, but whenever anybody offers to help me, even if I don't necessarily need their help, I try to find a way to let them help me. Because I think I don't want to ever discourage someone who is wanting to like, exercise the grace that they feel inside of them. I want to somehow be a part of the nurturing of that. Now, if they're offering to help and they, they, you know, it's not grace, well, that's different. But to me, like, that's, that's part of what we have to do. Obviously, Naomi and um, Ruth, they, they need help. And they know they need help. They could have gone to other fields. They could have done other things. You know, Ruth could have said, oh, no, thank you. Or Ruth could have gotten really upset. You know, Ruth could, you know, Ruth could have been like, you know, Boaz, you're insulting my integrity by leaving, it's obviously you're leaving these sheaves for me, you're making it too easy. You know, I, I just want to be treated, you know, like, a, like an equal. She could, have, she could have gotten really upset. 
that she was being patronized. Oh, Ruth, you're so bad at gleaning. I have to leave big things that say, for Ruth only, you know? But she doesn't. She receives it as grace. And again, in, in the church, in the community of faith, this is how we help people grow. This is how others get involved when we can be not just givers of grace, but we can be receivers of grace. And again, you know, we struggle. Some of us struggle more with the giving than the receiving. But a lot of people I know who are Christians, they, they, they struggle much more with the receiving. And because of that, you know, grace doesn't characterize our, our community. And so this is grace that comes, you know, it, it, it comes to Ruth. It came to Naomi. It comes, you know, from God and God working through us. And in this case, the story of, you know, Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, it's God's grace is going through. And so if, if we're going to be the church, if we're going to be the community of disciples, if we're going to be who we've called to be, if we're going to exemplify the Spirit, then grace needs to abound. We need to, we need to know each other's stories. We need, to, we need to hold one another up. We need to be able to give and to receive grace. We need to, you know, we need to pray for one another. And we need to know one another. We need to be willing to develop relationships. Church has got to stop being a meeting that we come to, and it needs to be a community. It needs to be a family. It needs to be relationships that people are constantly growing and developing. And yes, it's, it's about God. It's about our love for God. It's about his love for us. But the way that that's expressed and the way that that's shown in this world is the love and the grace that we have for one another. Again, I don't know why God chose to do it this way except grace. He could have done it better. He could have chosen better people. He could have designed us differently. But no, he chooses to use us and it is a grace from him, not, we don't deserve it. It's not because we're special, but it's his grace that says, I will use you to show the world what true unconditional love, unconditional grace is. Let's be a people of grace, both receivers of grace and those that allow God's grace to go through us to the world around us.